You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Good morning, church. How are we doing? Man, this looks so different. But man, it's going to be so good because the Spirit's in this place. Amen? And we come not because of a building, not because of a room, not because we get to set things up a certain way. We come because Jesus is worthy of our praise. Man, and what an amazing time it is for us to gather together. And even though we hear all these babies back here, right, they're going to respond to the message way more than all of you guys usually do. So this is good for me, is that I'm just thinking they're like amen back there. Um, and it's just, this is going to be good. The Spirit's going to move like crazy. So man, just a little bit of admin stuff really quick. The bathrooms are right here. So women's is right here across from us. The men's is right across from the women's. Do not go any farther than that or we will get in a lot of trouble by Elena. And if y'all know Elena, you do not want to get in trouble by her. So that's all I have for admin stuff. We're going to dive right in. There's a lot to cover, but we're going to do it really quickly. So we've been talking about life. That's what we've been talking about. So we're, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, and I just want to recap this for you. We started with the Beatitudes. That's how Jesus starts his Sermon on the Mount. Now, we saw that most people view the Beatitudes as eight separate circumstantial blessings. Like, hey, if you're spiritually bankrupt, then uh, this is a blessing. Hey, if you want to do this, then this is a blessing. But really, we broke it down and we saw that it's actually the process of salvation. That when Jesus says, hey, blessed are you when you realize that you can't do for you what you really need done. That someone else has to do for you what you can't do yourself. Blessed are you, he says, congratulations to you when you realize that spiritually you need someone to do something that you can't do. Congratulations, because that's when Jesus is ready to work in your life. And then he says, hey, blessed are you who are meek, which we saw really means to turn your life over. That's the moment of salvation. Hey, congratulations to you when you say, hey, I don't got this, right? I can't do this on my own. I need Jesus. Blessed are you. Congratulations to you because that is the moment of salvation. And then the rest of the Beatitudes is kind of what it looks like to be infected with the gospel. And then he goes on to say, hey, so... Man, you are the salt and the light of the world. So go, go live like it. And you're like, yeah, that's not working too well for me all the time, right? I'm not always salt. I'm not always light. Now, if you ask my wife, she would say, yeah, he's always salty. Again, that's a different type of salt, right? Jesus wasn't talking about that. He's saying, hey, make the world better because you have the grace of Jesus in your life. So everywhere you go should be better, not because of you, but because of Jesus who is inside of you. So you should really make a difference where you are because the Spirit works through you in that. And then we just kept going, and and Jesus says, hey, so here's an Old Testament law. So you've heard it was said, and then Jesus says, but I'm going even farther than that. That's a law, but that's an action. I'm going to the attitude of things. So we talked about anger. We talked about lust. We talked about divorce. And then he touches oaths, which we're not going to spend time on. And then the last two we're going to touch today. And really, the last two are are difficult. 
This is a list of, of six things where Jesus says, you heard it was said, but I say to you. You heard it was said, but I say to you. You heard it was said, hey, don't kill people. You're like, yep, good with that, I got it. But I say to you, if you have anger in your heart towards your brother, then you've already committed murder. Like, yeah, so I don't have that one. So I'm 0 for 1 already. And then he says, hey, so you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. You're like, yep, good with that one. He's like, yeah, but this is what I say. So if you have lustful intent in your heart, then you've already committed adultery. You're like, man, so I'm 0 for 2. And then you just keep going, man. There's six of these, and we're going to see we're 0 for 6. And there's a reason, because Jesus wants us to see, hey, you are spiritually bankrupt. You can't do it. So he's, he's telling us, hey, this is how a gospel-infected life should, should be. This is what it should look like. And you say, man, I'm struggling here. I can't do this. And Jesus says, hey, let's go back to the top. Blessed are you when you get to that place and realize that you can't do it. Congratulations to you because that's when you're open to the idea that I am who I say I am and I can do for you what you can't do for yourself. Man, congratulations to you. Jesus' sermon is amazing because you could just keep going back to the top. And it's like, man, maybe I should write a sermon where I could just always go back to the beginning. But I don't remember the beginning half the time, so I can't do that. But we're going to be in Matthew 5 this morning. And I want, to, I want to go through this really quickly, but not so quickly that we miss the idea of what Jesus was saying here. So we're going to be in Matthew 5, starting in verse 38. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Let's just stop right there, just for a second. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, what Jesus was doing is he was going back to Leviticus chapter 24 and what God was doing through Moses here is he was, he was trying to pretty much essentially set up a constitution for the people. They were, they were once not a people, now they're becoming a people. And God's like, well, we need some laws in place. So one of the laws, the entire chapter of Leviticus 24 is, hey, if someone does this to you, then you get to do this to them. And you're like, man, that's awesome. We need some rules like that. But Jesus, God wasn't doing this, right? To, for the, the person that was being uh, offended, he was actually doing this for the offender. What was taking place was, if somebody would like steal your cow, which I guess was a thing back then, if somebody was stealing your cow, instead of you going and stealing one of their cows, you'd burn their house down. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, here, that, that doesn't work. Man, retaliation just isn't it. That's not how it should go. So God through Moses said, okay, so let's put, some, let's put some limits on this retribution because y'all are going crazy with this. If somebody like steps on your foot, you can't punch them in the face, right? You step on their foot. That's how this works. So that was, that was the law that was being put in place. It was to limit the retaliation of people. But if you have a sibling, you know what that looks like. So say my brother pokes me in the eye. And it's like, well, you can poke him back in the eye. Cool, I'm poking him back in the eye. But then he's thinking what he's going to do to me next. And then it just keeps escalating. And that's what was happening. And Jesus is like, hey, so you've heard that it was said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And then he says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Hey, this is a popular verse in Scripture. Turn the other, how many of you have heard, turn the other cheek? 
Yeah, so here's the deal, man. I'm just going to be honest with you. This is, this is just my inclination. If somebody slaps me in the face, I'm probably slapping them back, okay? I'm just being honest with you. So I want you to understand something here that Jesus wasn't necessarily talking about violence in this passage, that for the Jews in this culture, being slapped in the face was more of, of public dishonor. So he's saying, hey, when someone humiliates you, when someone publicly dishonors you, then turn the other cheek. So if we bring this into the 21st century, Jesus would say, hey, so this is what I say to you. If someone posts a, a really mean and ugly Facebook post about you, then turn the other cheek. That's really what this means. It's not really the violence of being slapped in the face. Like there's no, if you're fighting, you're not slapping somebody in the face, right? You're punching them, right? Nobody's like, hey, this is my finishing move. I'm slapping you in the face. They're like, yeah, well, maybe you're in wrestling. It's fake. If you didn't know that, I'm sorry, but wrestling is fake. But this is, this is what we have to understand, that Jesus isn't saying that, hey, if somebody hits you, don't hit them back, right? I think it's a good practice to just not want to hit people back. But you can also protect yourself. He actually tells the disciples when he, when he sends them out in the book of Luke to go cast out demons, he says, hey, do you have a sword? You need to take a sword with you. If you don't have a sword, sell your coat and get a sword. Like, you need to protect yourself. So Jesus isn't against protecting yourself. If somebody breaks into your house, right, and they want to steal your stuff, they want to harm your family, Jesus isn't saying, hey, sit there, turn the other cheek, and let them do whatever they want in your house. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is, is making this a heart thing, and he says, hey, when someone publicly dishonors you, what do you do? Do you automatically go back at them? What's your reaction? What's your response? If you're in a meeting and someone calls you out in a meeting and they just tear you down in this meeting, what is your reaction? What do you do? Do you go back at them and tear them down? When someone mean tweets you, I don't even know what that means, but people say it. When someone mean tweets you, what do you do? What's your response? I, my response is, that's awesome, bro. I don't even know what that means. If someone posts something about you on Facebook and they're just tearing you down, what's your response? Is it to go back at them? Is it to share some picture that you just have stored away of them that you can just put on blast for the entire world to see what is your reaction when someone dishonors you? Jesus says, hey, turn the other cheek. Do you believe enough that God is your refuge, that God is your defense, that God is your strength, or do you think that you have to take this into your own hands and you have to slap back? What do you do when someone slaps you? Again, don't think violent. Don't think physical. Think what do you do when someone dishonors you? My first inclination is to stand up for my honor, to defend my honor. And God says, hey, so here's the thing. Are you more concerned about God's reputation or more concerned about your reputation? Jesus says that makes a difference. Now when your life is, is infused with the grace of God, then we should care more about God's reputation to the world than our reputation to the world. And we trust that God will defend us because He is the great defender. I want to point something out here in this verse. It says, hey, do, 
This is about the evil one. This isn't about brothers and sisters. This isn't about other Christ followers. This is about the evil one that wants to bring evil upon you, that wants to dishonor you, that wants to tear you down. This is about persecution. What do you do? Verse 40 says this, And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Just really quick, tunic would be like your shirt. The cloak would be like your jacket. So, Jesus is saying, hey, so choose to give them even more than what they need. This isn't so much about somebody's coming and just ripping stuff off of you. This is when someone comes to you, they, they want something from you, be so full of grace that you give them even more than what they need. And all this is going to be wrapped up and it's going to make sense that are we more concerned about ourselves or are we more concerned about the gospel of Jesus? Man, what a question that is for us sitting in this room today. Are we more concerned about ourselves, our happiness, our comfort, our stuff, our time, or do we care more about the gospel being displayed for a world who is hurting and broken? What do we care about? You say, well, man, that's not really fair. It's not really fair for me to give them my, my jacket. I'm already giving them my shirt. They probably don't even need the shirt. It's just not fair. It's my shirt. It's my jacket. And I understand that. But what if Jesus says, hey, do you really want to do you really want to play the fair game? Is that the card you really want to pull? Because if Jesus asks you, hey, so here's the deal. Fair is that because of your sin, because of your separation from me, you're supposed to spend eternity in hell. That's fair. So do you really want fair? Or do you want Jesus? Right? So we're not fair people. We're grace people. I want you to understand that. We're not fair people. We're grace people. Grace isn't fair. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. It costs something. It costs God His one and only Son to come on a rescue mission for us, for sinners, for people who didn't deserve it. He says, hey, you don't want fair. And if you do want fair, you're not going to like the outcome because fair is eternal separation from a holy God. Man, we don't want fair. Verse 41 says, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. So this was actually law back then. So a, a Roman could say, hey, to any Israelite, say, hey, you have to carry my stuff for one mile. They could, they could make them carry it for one mile. So if you've ever heard the phrase, go the extra mile, this is where it comes from. Jesus says, hey, don't just go the one mile that's required. Go another mile. Go the extra mile. Again, give them more than what they're asking for. And you're like, well, man, why do I want to do that? Why would I ever want to give more? And Jesus again is saying, hey, so you don't deserve what you have right now, but I continuously give you more. I'll pour more grace into you. More love into you. Every single day we can be filled with the Spirit more and more and more. And He's saying, hey, if you're really infected with the gospel and grace of Jesus, you should be pouring that out to other people. But what's most important to you? Your reputation, your stuff, your time, your comfort, or the gospel and grace of Jesus? being put on display 
for the world to see. Now, what's most important to you? And then he gives another example in verse 42. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And here's, here's a question. How many of you have just ever, you've ever passed somebody that's on the corner, they got their sign, they, they need something? Any, anybody seen that? And man, so if you're like me, you're, you're like, man, I'm not making eye contact. My windows are going up. Like I, I just, it, it freaks me out. I'm just going to be honest. It's just one of those things that's like, I don't know what to do. I really don't, I, I'm freaking out in my brain, and it's like, hey, roll the windows up, don't look, let's just keep going, then the light turns red, and God's like, yep, now you got to sit here, so what are you going to do? I'm like, I'm not looking, like, I'm just not looking. Here's the deal, because the questions that we ask ourselves is, man, what if they use it for drugs? What if they go buy alcohol with this? What if, what if, what if, what if, and again, I would say, for one, we can't control what someone else does. We're not called to, to know what they're doing with the stuff. Number two is this. Again, Jesus could say, man, do you really want to pull the stewardship card here? Have you really used everything I've given you to further the kingdom of God? Or have you used it for yourself? And you don't want Jesus pulling the fair card. You don't want him pulling the stewardship card. Because I guarantee you, we're all, we're all done when he pulls those cards. Because he's given us blessing after blessing after blessing to use to further his kingdom. But what have we done with that stuff? Are we really good stewards of what God has given us? What if he said, you know what? I don't know what you're going to do with that, so I'm not giving it to you. No, he says, I'm giving it to you. This is what I'm calling you to do with it. Now, free will, go and make your decision. So, man, don't ask the, those questions. You don't want him to pull those cards. In essence, this is what Jesus is doing in this passage so far. He is introducing a radically different ethic. He's saying, hey, so here's what you've heard. This is what I'm saying. And I'm saying that it's really, it's more than fair. It's more than just. It's more than right. It's about the grace of God being poured out to you and then overflowing out of you to other people. This is what he's saying. Imagine a life like this. Imagine a life being so untethered from the opinions of other people about yourself. Where you don't care what anybody thinks about you. You don't care what your spouse thinks. You don't care what your kids think. You don't care what your employees think. You don't care what your co-workers think. You don't care what your boss thinks. You don't care what the random people on Facebook think about you. That you only care about what God says and what God thinks. Think about a life like that because none of us are there. But how freeing would it be if we could get to a place in our relationship with Jesus where we say, hey, you're the only one that matters. And you say, well, I need to treat my spouse right. I need to treat my kids right. That's great. When Jesus becomes one, then all the other priorities fall into place. And you begin to pour him out of your life. Imagine a life where you don't really care too much about your stuff because you realize it's not your stuff anyway. It doesn't mean that you, you can't do you know, some things with your stuff that God gives you. It means that you're not tethered to those things because you realize that they're God's things. 
And when someone needs to borrow something, you say, yeah, sure, man, it ain't mine anyway. You can borrow it. I've had Andrew's weed eater for like three weeks. I need to get it back to him, and I will. But he just trusts me, man, because he knows it's God's weed eater anyway. He let me borrow it. Think about a life untethered from fighting so hard for your comfort. And all of us like to be comforted. But think about a life where your comfort isn't the most important thing. That God is your refuge, your strength, your provider, your healer. He is who He says He is. And because He is who He says He is, you realize that you are His. You are His daughter. You are His son. And you are a part of the family of God. And man, that's all the comfort that you need. It's to know that one day, for eternity, you will be in the presence of the Almighty God, praising His name forever and ever and ever and ever. See, this is the picture that Jesus was painting. A life that's ruled by the grace of God in your life. When someone mistreats you, I want you to hear this. When someone mistreats you, treat them like Jesus treats you. Because man, I can I can just count on all fingers, all ears, and the big ears, like all the way around the ears. Man, there's so many times that I've mistreated Jesus. And I'd fill up notebook after notebook after notebook after notebook. And I want you to understand this morning that Jesus says, hey, when people mistreat you, I want you to treat them the way that I treat you, which is full of grace and love. It doesn't mean that we can't call stuff out in people. It doesn't mean that we don't, we don't recognize some bad behavior in people. It means that we choose grace because God chooses grace for us. So, real, real quick illustration. How many of you have read the book, Les Mis? Okay, AJ's like the only person in here. Yep, cool, great. Okay, how many have seen the movie? Okay, still the same people. Okay, so let me just give you a quick back. I've never read the book either, just saying, but it is a really good illustration. So, here's this dude, I'm not even going to try to say his name, it's French, and obviously, he gets out of prison, and nobody wants to hire him. He's a thief. And he goes and lives with a bishop. This bishop's like, yeah, man, you can stay with me. And then one night, this dude does what thieves do, and he begins to steal stuff. He takes stuff. He takes silver. The bishop wakes up. He, like, knocks him out, and he leaves. So here's this thief who was shown grace by this bishop, stealing stuff, and he, and he leaves. The police catch him, and he makes up this elaborate story, and he says, hey, the bishop gave me all this stuff. I didn't steal it. So they're like, all right, cool. They go back to the bishop's house. They say, hey, we called him, but this is what he said. He said that you gave him all this stuff. And the bishop pauses. There's just a pause. And I think that he really understood the Sermon on the Mount. And then he says, you know what? He's absolutely right. I did give him all that stuff. And actually, you forgot to take some stuff with you. And he goes and gets gold. And he goes and gets coins. And he just fills this dude's bag up with stuff. And he, he goes off on his way. This is what he did. He chose grace instead of fairness. He chose grace. And it really changes the trajectory of this guy's life. 
And Jesus says, hey, I want you to choose grace. And, and Jesus, he says some crazy things here. And this is the first thing he says. He says, hey, respond with grace. When you're mistreated, respond with grace. And it's so hard for us to do this. It's so hard for us to want to show grace to people who mistreat us because we want to defend our honor. We want to stand firm and say, hey, man, you don't do that. You don't treat me that way. And Jesus isn't saying, hey, be a doormat for people, right? And this analogy, you run out of cheeks real quick. You turn your other cheek, they slap that one. You're out of cheeks at that point, right? So he's not saying, hey, continuously just be ran over. He's not saying that. He's saying the way you respond is you get up and you respond with grace. And you allow Jesus to defend your honor. Verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So this is actually a quote as well that you're supposed to love your neighbor. But here's something that's interesting is that the law never said to hate your enemy. That this is something the religious people had added into this. That in trying to figure out who their neighbor was, they realized that the Jew's neighbor was a Jew. Everybody else was an enemy. And because they were classified as enemies, you could then hate them. So the law was actually, hey, love your neighbor. But they had added on this part, hate your enemy. So Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, listen, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Listen, Jesus says, these people that you consider enemies, love them. And this is how I know that love isn't a feeling. Because there's no way that someone who is an enemy to me, I'm going to feel some kind of love right to them. But love is an action. And Jesus says, hey, love them. You're like, well, I'm not real sure what that means. There's a lot of different, lot of different definitions for this love thing. Does it mean that I just wave to them when I ride by? This is the South, right? You just wave, whatever. No. So this word love is agape, which is the same word used in 1 Corinthians 13. So if you really want to know what it looks like to love your enemy, then just go to 1 Corinthians 13, we don't have time to read that, but it tells you all about love and what the action of love looks like. That is kind and that is patient. That is long-suffering, that it keeps no record of wrong. Man, it's, it's good stuff, and it shows you that this is the action of love. And then he says, pray for those who persecute you. Now I want you to... to understand there's a difference between praying for and praying about because we're really good at praying about right man i really wish my wife would stop doing this man god could you please help her stop throwing stuff at me could you i'm just kidding could you please help my boss not do this could you please help this person not do this could you please man that's praying about someone jesus doesn't say to do that he says pray for them he says, care about their souls. Pray for them. Those who treat you bad, those who persecute you, you don't have to be best friends with them, but you need to pray for them. 
You need to pray for their souls. In Romans chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, Paul says this, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. This is, this is what I want you to understand. It's really hard to rejoice with those who persecute you. It's really hard to rejoice with your enemies. It's really hard to weep with those people that are against you. Amen? The people that you know want you, that you know that they want you to fail. Those people that you just know don't like you. They want, they want to see you just fall and be just, man, your life go into chaos. There's people out there that are against you. And Jesus says, hey, love them. And pray for them. And Paul says, hey, don't, don't stop there. Rejoice with them and weep with them. And you're like, man, how is that even possible? And this is what I think. This is my opinion. Is that when we begin to pray for people, God begins to change our heart toward them. It doesn't mean they're going to change. It doesn't mean that their actions are going to change. Their, their heart's going to change. But man, it just does something. It's hard for me to imagine that we could go to God on behalf of someone else and our heart not be changed for that person. We begin to see them the way God sees them. We begin to ask questions like, man, I wonder what happened in their life to make them want to lash out against me. I wonder what kind of hurt they have in their life. I wonder what, what I could do maybe to, to help them. And God begins to change our heart. So here's a question that I have for you this morning. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Who is your enemy? Some of you know. Some of you know right now. It's an it's a ex-spouse. Man, y'all stood in front of God, in front of the pastor, in front of grandma, in front of everybody, and said, till death do us part. And then a few years down the road, he was gone. He, he just left. And he's your enemy and you just know it. That's, that's him. Some of you, maybe it's an old friend, an old roommate. And she just always stirred up drama. She always told lies about you. She always made other people think these negative things about you. And I'm not saying these things aren't evil. I'm saying that, man, you know right off, right when we started talking about enemies, who your enemy was. Like, you just know. And for some of you, if you're like me, you're like, man, I don't have any enemies until you get on Facebook and it's like, all right, well, maybe, maybe I got a few. I didn't know about them. So sometimes it's really easy to know. And some of you, you just know right now, that's your, that's your enemy. I want you to write their name down. I want you to be honest. For some of you, you you're just not really sure. And I want you to pray through that and, and see who that person is. And then I want you to love them the way that 1 Corinthians 13 says to love them. I'm not telling you to feel some kind of way about them. I'm telling you to love them. It's an action step. Love them. Pray for those who persecute you. So what is your first reaction? So Jesus says, first of all, I want you to, to respond with grace. Secondly, He says, I want you to love your enemies. Thirdly, He says, pray for your persecutors. We're going to close with this. But what is your first reaction 
Is it to defend your name? Or is it to pray for the souls of those who are lost? Do you care more about the reputation of God and the gospel or about your own reputation in this world? What do you care most about? What matters the most to you? It's nearly impossible to carry bitterness and unforgiveness and walk in the abundant, grace-filled life that Jesus intends for you to walk in. Some of us, we have, we have bitterness, we have unforgiveness, and it's keeping us from walking in the grace-filled life that Jesus intends for us to walk in. So all of this to say this, because in verse 45, and this is we're ending right here, he says, so that, he says all this stuff, hey, I want you to love your enemy, I want you to pray for people, I want you to show grace, and this is what he says, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And really in the Greek, I don't want you to think this means that you're, you're, you're joining the family. No, what this means is, this is how they translated godly. So he's saying, hey, if you want to be godly, if you want to live like Jesus, then do this stuff. Do this stuff. You really want to be like Jesus? You really want to become more like Him? Then this is the way you should live life. You should respond with grace. You should love your enemies and you should pray for those who persecute you. This is how you walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 says this. Ephesians 2 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And this is everybody's favorite verse. Ephesians 2.4 But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Jesus is saying, hey, stop living like the world. And he says that. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles or non-believers do the same? He's saying, hey, the world acts that way. If you're just going to love those who love you and you're going to treat those people nice who treat you nice, what are you doing? The world does that. He's saying, be different than that. Show the grace of God to the world by the way that you live. It's important for us to declare the gospel, man. We do it every Sunday. We declare the gospel. But man, it's so powerful when we put on display the gospel of Jesus by the way that we live our life, not just by the words that we say. And then he ends... He ends it this way. So he really starts this whole section saying, hey, so if your righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, then you have no place in the kingdom of heaven. And then he starts saying, all these, you've heard it was said, this is what I say, you heard it was said, this is what I say. And this is kind of the book end of this. So he said, hey, if, you're, if your righteousness doesn't exceed that of the Pharisees, you have no place. And then he says this in verse 48. You therefore must 
be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus is like, hey, you got one action to do this week. This is your homework. Be perfect. Man, I'm perfect. Be perfect. That's what Jesus is saying. And you're like, man, I'm already 0 for 6 on this list that you did, and now you want me to be perfect? What are you talking about? I can't do it. Which I think Jesus would say, hey, so let's go back to the top. Blessed are you when you're poor in spirit. Blessed are you when you get to the place in your life where you realize you can't be perfect apart from Jesus. Blessed are you when you get to the place in your life. Congratulations to you when you realize that you are spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are you. Hey, you're in a perfect spot for God to do something in your life. Man, congratulations. You're right there. The first step is to realize, man, we're sinners in need of a Savior. And then we recognize that Jesus has done everything necessary for our salvation. That when He said it was finished, that somehow it counted for you. Man, congratulations, because we're not perfect. And when we realize that apart from Jesus, we will never be, man, we're blessed when we're in that spot. And then we hand over the reins of our life to Jesus. And maybe for you, that's the step you need to take in this place. Romans 5, 8 is one of our verses here at Impact Church. And man, it fits perfectly with the message because you say, man, so why should I really love my enemy? Why should I show grace? Why should I pray for people? And then we see it in Romans 5, 8. And it says, hey, while you were still sinners, while you were enemies of God, Christ died for you. We do it because He did it. We treat other people the way that He treats us. I want you to make some commitments this morning. Number one is this, commit to pray. Commit to pray for that person you wrote down. Commit to pray for that bitterness and that unforgiveness in your life. And commit to forgive. Commit to forgive that person, those people, that, that ex-spouse, that ex-roommate, that ex-business partner, that ex-co-worker. Commit to pray for them, commit to forgive them. Let's stand together this morning. And if you find that you're living a life that isn't full of grace, that isn't full of forgiveness, then maybe that means, listen to this, maybe that means this morning in this place, you've never received that grace and you never received that forgiveness. Because we can't give the grace of God, we can't forgive like Jesus if we've never received that ourselves. So maybe for you, if you're struggling with that, it's because you've never received that in your life. Today could be the day of salvation for you. Maybe for some others, you're just struggling. You, you do have that grace. You do have that forgiveness in your life. And you're just really struggling to show that to those who mistreat you. And I want you to pray. So we're going to respond like we always respond. We're going to pray. We're going to pray that God reveals to us the bitterness and unforgiveness that we have. And we're going to sing. 
We're going to sing to a God who is worthy of our praise. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.